0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a
1: ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship,
0: and prayer.
2: We are in the middle of a series on the nine principles, the nine principles of ministry that, that govern the way that this church functions in ministry. And I think it's appropriate for us to, to define this word ministry. We use it a lot. You've heard, you've heard it a lot. But ministry is, is any act of obedience unto the Lord to further his mission. Okay, it's a, it's a very broad word. Um, And so anytime we are serving the Lord uh, with the intention of of furthering the things that he loves and cares for and to serve into his will, that's ministry. And in a church context like the one that we have here, a body of believers, a group of people that have come together to worship the Lord together and to do ministry together, uh, we've got principles that lead us specifically as the church at 40th and Walnut We call it Midtown Baptist Temple. We've got principles that guide us and lead us in ministry, things that we hold to, that we find to be true in in Scripture, okay? And so uh, that's what we're talking about. Now, the very first principle that was presented to us last week was by Miles Cheadle, and he came up here and spoke about how we're going to be a house of prayer, and we strive to be that here at, at Midtown and in Kaya. We strive to be a ministry and a house of prayer where when we come together, we, we make sure that we turn our attention to the Lord. We make sure that we lift Him up. We, we give Him the gratefulness and the thankfulness that He deserves, that we adore His name, but then we also bring our requests before Him because we know that we have nothing except that He provided. All right, we are going, as a ministry, we are determined that we are going to be reliant on Jesus Christ for everything. Not not the strong arm of our flesh, not our our intellect, not our beauty. Certainly not that, right? But, But because God is gracious towards his children. And so before I turn it over to the next principle, I want to review this principle of prayer real quick. And I want everybody to turn to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to read this parable that Christ shares about prayer. Chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Okay? So that's, that's what he wants to teach. He tells us up front how he's going to instruct us. And this is what he says. Saying, there was in a city a judge. Okay? So he's telling a story, story. That's what these parables are. Which feared not God. This is the unjust judge. Okay? This is an ungodly man. But he has power. Which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow. Okay, a widow would have been a woman that is, was poor within this cultural context, and she would have been a needy individual. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Now, we're not given much information about the adversary, but we know that there's a connection in Scripture between the adversary here and And the capital A adversary, which is Satan, the devil, which is the enemy of all of us, you understand? He is our foe, and he seeks to cause us to stumble at every turn. And so she has this adversary. Verse 4. And he would not for a while, but afterward... So he wasn't listening to her. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God... In other words, I have have no sense of morality, right? Right? I have no, I've, I'm not governed by a greater thing, uh, bigger than myself. Though I don't worship God, I do have a bit of conviction here. Okay, he says, nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. All right? So his conviction isn't for her, it's for what? Himself. And he's so bothered by this woman coming to him day after day... That He acts in his own best interest, but he does listen to her. And so so here we have this story of an unjust man who's willing to do the right thing, even for the wrong reasons. Okay, continuing on. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, him, though he bear long with them? So what we're hearing here is that we've got a good and a just God who cares about us, who loves us, who wants the very best for us. How much more is he willing to hear us when we plead with him time and time again, God, please act on my behalf. And according to your will. Please, God, be good to me. Help me in my time of trouble. God, please deliver me from trial and temptation. I need you more than anything. Listen to me. Principle number one we're a house of prayer. Why is that principle number one? Because it needs to guide and lead us in every other thing that we do in ministry. It is critical. It's only by God's grace that we as a, as, a, as a church and as a fellowship have the ability to serve him at all. And with that, I want to turn it over to Nick, who's got principle number two.
0: So, as Brandon just said, I'm Nick, and uh, today I'm going to be talking about ministry principle number two. And that's that we are always making disciples, okay? So this, this principle is true in our lives, guys. It, it has to be, right? Right? It has to be true of this room, of these people, of Kaya. It has to be true in our Bible studies. It has to be true in our one-on-one Bible studies that we approach evangelistically. It has to be true through and through in our, in our daily conversations, really. Um, because if it were, and if it is, ministry and worship would be real in our lives, not only on Sunday morning, but outside the church walls also, which is what God intended to be true in the life of his people. Okay, so we are always making disciples here at MBT and in Kaya and in our Bible studies. We're always doing that. And we take that very seriously because God gave his people a mission. And he made it known unto them what that mission was. And we have to live it out. Look at John chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus says this. He says, Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my father... I have made known unto you for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So, so disciples are unique in the sense that they acknowledge those things that Jesus Christ has made known unto us, right? And it's through that acknowledgement that Jesus is able to use disciples to carry out the mission that he's given us. Um, and to understand this principle fully, we need to, we need to look at the definition of a, of a biblical disciple of Jesus Christ, okay? So the, the definition... Of a biblical disciple of Jesus Christ is a believer that's saved by grace through faith, that learns of Jesus by reading and studying God's word, and then follows him by obeying his word. Okay, so we see three different parts of this definition. Okay, the first part is that um, in order to follow God as his disciple, we first have to find him, right? Right? I've never followed anything in my life that I hadn't first found. Um, The second thing we see is how it is we find him. We must have learned of who he is by hearing and understanding what God's word, the Bible, right, tells us about who he is and what he did for us. Okay, So Jesus Christ died for our sins when he did not deserve to and overcame that death through his resurrection so that we could all be reconciled to God the Father. And it's only through Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, that that reconciliation can take place. Once we've understood that, we can be saved by grace through faith and faith alone. We just have to believe it in our hearts and confess it. Once we've done this, we've found him. And the next step is that last part of the definition, the part that's often missed and ignored. And that's that the way we follow him, the way we become his disciples, is by obeying his word. All right, And this is the part of the definition that we see discipleship come to life in the life of somebody who's received salvation through Jesus Christ. All right, so that's what we'll be looking at for the remainder of my time up here. Uh, and we're just going to be looking at three different points of study, all of which should better help us understand why it is that we are always making disciples in every, in every part of our lives if we're followers of, of Christ. Um, so point of study number one is that God has instructed his followers to create a foundation based in his truths and commands. Of which, right, his truths and commands, of which we are supposed to be hearers and doers of. Right? Because hearing and doing, that's what, that's what makes obedience a thing. Hearing plus doing equals obeying. That formula reigns true in the life of a, of a disciple of Jesus Christ as it pertains to God's word. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 46 forty nine Jesus says this he says, and why call ye me Lord Lord and do not the things which I say whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them I will show you to whom he is like he is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock and when the flood arose the stream the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So God's word tells his followers to build a foundation based in the things which he says right and guys if, if we do that all at the same time we learn how to obey how to submit and to follow okay we learn how to say not my will be done in this situation, God. We learn how to say, your will be done. We learn learn how to say, not my truth right now, God. Don't let my truth direct my path. Let it be your truth that pours out of my mouth before people who do not know you. We learn how to say, not my best efforts, God. Let it be your promises and your outcomes that I find my rest in. If we took that seriously, if believers all over the world took that seriously, we'd have a lot more disciples of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. But secondly, we'd have a lot less believers of Jesus Christ compromising with sin in their lives and then, in turn, working against God's mission, renouncing their faith, right? Um, verse 49 of that passage ended with, and the ruin of that house was great. And guys, it's of great ruin to claim to be a believer of Jesus Christ and to compromise with sin in your life daily. And, then to, and, then, you know, and what we're doing before people is we are working against the mission that God has given us, us who believe in him. So key point number one is that we are always making disciples because belief without obedience creates weak foundations. Point of study number two. God has directed his followers to teach his truths and commands to other Christians. Okay, so, so one of the reasons, and this is a real curveball here, one of the reasons that we're always making disciples at MBT is because God tells us and shows us through his word that we should be. Okay? And if we are going to be a hearing and doing church, then we always should be making disciples. Okay? So let's look at the Great Commission real quick. And, and I know that, that we look at these verses a lot. We look at these verses all the time. But if we're careful not to gloss over them, uh, we can see the command to make disciples, right? The word disciple is not in these verses, but the command to make them is there. Okay? So Jesus says this to, to us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So let's stop there. The word teach in verse 19 is talking about evangelizing. Okay, remember, until we've found something, we cannot follow it. So Jesus Christ is telling us, a part of his great commission to us, that we must help people find him. We also know that's what he's saying there because the second thing he tells us to do is to baptize them, right? He tells us to baptize them. If you do not know what baptism is, is for a believer, it's our first opportunity to be obedient to God's word. It's the first chance any Christian who's given their life to Jesus Christ gets to be a hearer and doer of his word. Okay, those two things are are really important. Now, in verse 20, we're told to make disciples. It says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever... I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Okay, so in, in Matthew chapter uh, 28, verse 20, we hear in Jesus' say, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Now, we looked at John fifteen fifteen earlier, right? And what John 15, 15 said is, For all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. We just looked at Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And what we saw there was Jesus asked the question, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? In comparing Scripture with Scripture, we see that the things Jesus made known unto us, which were of the Father, are the same things that he wants us to build our foundation in, which are the things he said to us, and are the same things... That we're supposed to be teaching these nations who have found God and been immediately obedient and who have been faithful to him. And those things, guys, are God's words, right? And what about that definition? How do disciples become disciples? Disciples follow God by obeying his word, right? Discipleship is the building of that foundation in the life of a believer that stops streams from knocking us over. Right And the Great Commission quite literally is a command to always be making disciples. So key point number two is that we are always making disciples because that is Jesus' commission to his followers. Okay, so um, <clears throat> these first two points of study, they're, they're really important. To understand, right? Because in the process of being and making disciples, we are taking part in our purpose as Christians, right? And we have to, we have to live out our purpose as Christians, because otherwise Christianity is very confusing to people. It was confusing to me before I understood the purpose of Christians. I was like, well, so these people just go to church on Sunday, right? But that's not the answer. The answer, right, that's a misconception, which takes me to my last uh, point of study here. Um, God has directed us to be fruitful for his kingdom. Okay? The reason God tells us to teach and make disciples is because that is how fruit is produced in the life of a believer. And not just any type of fruit, but fruit that would remain. We look at John 15 verse 16. And within that verse we see Jesus say that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Okay? So So fruit in the life of a believer is the output of biblical discipleship, right? Because disciples make disciples. It's evidence of of usefulness to to that that mission we're supposed to live out, that thing that gives us our purpose. And how do we know in life when anything or something is useful? How do we know? It's very very obvious that thing is fulfilling its purpose. If we have a, a door stopper and we use it to open a door up, and we, we put it down in that door without relent, is held open by that door stopper, we could all agree that that door stopper is living out its purpose. right? And the second it starts bouncing back, it's like, well, that door stopper is junk. we got to get rid of it. we got to get a new door stopper that knows how to hold that door open. <clears throat> Look at what Jesus says about usefulness in Luke chapter 14, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor... Wherewith shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land, not yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. <clears throat> so here's the, here's the thing, church. Here's the thing we have to hear. Um, every disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is, or every believer, I'm sorry. Every disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is a believer, right? But not every believer of the Lord Jesus Christ is a disciple, Not every believer is following him by obeying his word. The biblical portrait of a true disciple is someone who lives in obedience to the word of God and not someone who simply believes on him for salvation. Now, salvation is good, right? It's a part of that process. Personally, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, right? But for someone who says, yes, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, I've received salvation through Jesus Christ my Lord, uh, but their, their walk with God just looks like them showing up to church on Sunday if they can make it work with the rest of their schedule, or, or even just showing up to Bible study once every two weeks, just, not to make investment, but just to, just to come and say, okay, I made it to Bible study, right? That person, in the eyes of the Lord, is not so different from salt that's lost its savor. You know, salt that doesn't taste like salt is is useless for seasoning because it it can't fulfill its purpose in the state that it's in. A true follower of Jesus Christ is useful to them and is fruitful in their walks because without relent, without relent, they pursue the mission of Jesus Christ. And if we can identify with with that pursuit, Kaya, if we can identify it, this ministry, all the ministry, all the, all the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're taking part in right now in our lives can continue on long after us. Long after us. Because we were always making disciples. So we, we, we should ask ourselves, you know, is there evidence in, in our lives that, that we're useful to God's mission? That we're useful to the purposes that we're supposed to live out? And if the answer is no, well then, then praise God. The Lord, because we're not salt, right? We're not salt. We can repent and change our behavior and we can start being obedient to God's word today. We can we can sign up for the next cost of discipleship class and start having the word of God invested into us and start obeying it today. As long as this second ministry principle is true, then then Kaya, MBT, Bible studies, individual followers of Jesus Christ we can be able to stand firm with Jesus Christ as our foundation. And we can be able to teach those who would be taught the truths and commands and promises that we see in the word of God. And we'd be able to be fruitful so that the Lord could add to the church daily as should be saved. Okay, so key point number three is that we are always making disciples so we can always be useful for God's mission. True disciples live for Jesus' purposes, Kaya. Not their own, so we got we got to recognize whose purposes we are living for. It. and on that note, I'm going to give it up to Jake Bruce.
3: Awesome, thanks, Nick. I feel like we're preaching the same message, man. This is awesome. Um, God does send mass emails. Um, so yeah, so far we've heard we've heard from Miles, House of Prayer, heard from Nick. We're always making disciples and. Uh, Today, what I'm going to be talking about for principle number three is the word of God is our absolute authority. And so what does that mean? Uh, Before we can blindly claim that yeah, the word of God is my absolute authority, uh, we have to ask ourselves some questions uh, and be honest where we are spiritually concerning God's word. Um, And I'll say this, uh, in asking questions there's a danger in like um, answering uh, without uh, reflecting and examining ourselves. And so, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. So, Kyle, let's not be presumptuous about, uh, about ourselves, assuming we're all good with God's word. Uh, throughout the message, please consider the questions uh, within yourselves honestly, because then true change can take place. And to begin, before we can claim that God's word is indeed our authority, uh, we first have to believe that God's word is true. That makes sense, Right? This can't be an authority over your life if it's not a true thing. So question number one is, do I have the true word of God? Is God's word preserved? And instead of me answering that question to the best of my fleshly abilities, we're going to turn to God's word to answer it for us. Um, In Psalm 12, 6 through 7, David writes, The words of the Lord are are, are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And clue into these, keys, these key words here. Pure, uh, meaning holy and clean. And kept, meaning not lost. Preserved, meaning it is now what it was before. And forever, meaning, well, it means forever. Pretty common word. <laughs> it's a bad joke. <laughs> and continuing on in Matthew 15, or Matthew 5, verse 18. Jesus says, for verily I say unto you, which is Jesus communicating the importance and the weightiness of this saying. He's trying to get your attention here. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot ja or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And so most of us in this room probably have to ask, what's a jot ja and what's a tittle? Well, <laughs> we're going to hear a jot. Ja. It's, it's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It looks kind of like an apostrophe. I mean, it's, it's, it's really small. And a tittle is even smaller. It's like, it's similar between what distinguish, or what differentiates a capital O from a capital Q in the English or the, the alphabet that we use. So a tiny little stroke, right? So Jesus promises that even these tiny letters, this tiny stroke would not pass away. Uh, but it would remain. And that's an amazing promise from Jesus Christ himself. And if he promises these small things, how much more can we trust him to preserve his words versus chapters and books? In Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It's amazing, isn't it? And finally, Mark 13, verse 31, Jesus again confirms to us that his words will be preserved. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. And guys, most most Christians will probably, when you ask them, they'll probably agree with all these verses, right? they'll probably say, yeah, that sounds great. God's word does not pass away. That sounds good. I'm keying into it. I believe it. Um, but when, we, when the Christian considers what it truly means that not one jaw or one tittle will pass away, that God's word is perfectly preserved through time, that's a more challenging question to answer honestly, right? It's made even more obvious by looking at how modern Christian scholarship at large handles the word. No longer is the main objective to search the scriptures to gain understanding, and to live our lives according to that new understanding. It's, the objective is to search the scriptures, find areas of God's word that can be improved upon, so that over time we come closer and closer to a perfect word, which is a pretty dangerous game to play, isn't it? You guys see how that is shaken out? It's man, um, it's no longer man subject to the words of God, but the words of God are subject to man. And God promised us that his word would be preserved forever and not preserved eventually. So that means once God's word was given, it was promised to be preserved from that point forward. And I think one of the biggest obstacles a Christian can overcome in their walk with the Lord is going from a place of uncertainty and skepticism in God's word to having complete faith in God's word. That's a big deal. And why why do I say that? Well, it's because God's word has the ability to transform our lives. But if we let it, there's a conditional factor there. So here's a a short little illustration for that. Let's say two people are being witnessed to and both hear John 3.16, right? Very famous book, or a very famous verse about salvation, about who Jesus Christ is to us. The first person could believe in it, put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and get saved. Praise God that he's made a way. In that very moment, God's done a miraculous work in that person's life due to their simple faith in his word. The other could hear the verse, respect what's being said, but not have faith in it, and it could remain unchanged. And the point is this, how we view God's word will, will determine how much God is able to change us and shape us into who he desires us to be, right? The word didn't change, it's how it, it's how it was received. And so it takes us from us being the judge of all things to letting God be the judge of all things in our life. Uh, From us as imperfect, emotional, sinful humans weighing scripture against our own personal outlooks to simply trusting God for what his word says. Uh, And John Kindler, man, said it perfectly just earlier. It's not God's explanations that we rely on, but his promises. God doesn't need to explain his word to me. He'll reveal it as I spend time in it. And so, uh, here at Midtown Baptist Temple, we hold to the belief that we do indeed have God's fully preserved word right here. Um, and we don't believe it blindly. You know, there's, there's, I only read four verses earlier, and there's so much more here in this book that confirms that. Pastor Mark Trotter once said, the power of the word of God is in the words of God. Albeit a lot more like, you know, Mark Trotter would. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Guys, if we're going to claim to be Bible believers, then we have to trust that what God says within it is true and that God will surely keep his end of the deal. And so that brings us to point number one. A mature believer approaches God's word with faith, not criticism. So I'll grab some water. Well, some people write it. <laughs> it's amazing how fast your mouth dries out up here. <laughs> Nick's nodding his head. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And similarly, Psalm 37, verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Amazing promises from God's word. And for the sake of time, i got to keep moving, but if you're not at the place where you can claim that you know that you have God's perfect, pure, preserved word for yourself, uh, there's some resources up on the screen. Uh, a More Sure Word by R.B. Olette. is an amazing book. Um, and if you're looking for a deep dive, uh, Living Faith did uh, Preservation of God's Word in 2018 Certainty Conference. Everything is there online with handouts. And so if this is something you want to wrestle through uh, yourself, Go there. Uh, talk to your disciple or talk to your Bible study leader. Uh, but moving on, uh, once you've come to the place where you can uh, boldly claim that we do indeed have God's word, we've got to answer question number two. Am I going to be my own authority or let God be my authority? Nick spoke a lot on this just earlier. But who's authority? Who are we going to obey? As Christians who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, it seems ridiculous that we would submit to any authority other than God, Right? seems silly, but we do it all the time. So often we get distracted by the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, or our pride of life. We let those things derail us from walking in God's way to walking in our own way. And here's a brief list list of verses that show the end result when man goes his own way. God tells us how it's going to end. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, Going our own way required the death of God's beloved son. That's what that's talking about. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Proverbs 30, verse 12, There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Uh, guys, we can deceive ourselves through self-focused evaluation, using our own personal wisdom and standards, uh, which is a false judgment, uh, judging ourselves to be pure, right? And so let's avoid this, because if we don't, we remain spiritually filthy and unwashed. That's what that verse is saying. So let's, what, let's let God be our, be our judge so we can be made clean. So now we've set the foundation for what happens when we go our own way. We can take a look at what happens when we go God's way. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. God's going to strengthen and protect us when we wait on him. And Proverbs 16, 17 says, The highway, which means the important way, the important path of the upright, is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. I'd like to preserve my soul. I don't know about anybody else in this room. It seems like a good deal. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 31 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. A buckler means a shielder or a protector. Okay, so up to this point, we've established um, that we believe and we trust in God's word, right? For question number one, in that number, uh, point two, God has shown us through his word that we just established we have faith and trust in, right? From point one, how each way of man's, each way of man ends, right? And so, Kai, that's it. Like, that's the whole story. We have God's word. We believe it, and it communicates to us the, the ways of man is death, but the ways of God is life. It's not about what our wisdom and our plans are. It's about God's wisdom and his plan. Um... At home, I have a habit of researching like every single detail of things before I start a house project or before I buy anything, Um, weighing every pro against every con so I can make the best decision possible. Um, And even if that decision is as small as like a toaster, I'm not kidding, that has happened. (laughs) And while it's okay, albeit a little annoying uh, to function this way in our personal lives, uh, ministry should not function this way. Our ministry's foundation should be rooted in God's word. When faced with making decisions in ministry, we may be prone to lean on our, our own wisdom and our own plans. Um, and that's not, that's not out of an intentionally disobedient heart. It's just our habit. It's our nature as humans, right? We, we try to follow our wisdom, follow our plan. But there's a better way, and that way is God's way. And praise him that he's given us his word. God's word is sufficient for us, Kaya. So, Kai, we have a decision to make. Will we choose to go God's way, or will we choose to go our own way? Which brings us to point number two. A mature believer not only believes the word of God, but is obedient to it. In Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10, it's, God's word says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. What we can see here is preparation doesn't happen by accident, right? It's a mindful decision that one makes. And Ezra determined himself to not only seek the words of God, but to do them also. There's a big difference in those two things. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Finally, Joshua 24.15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's such an encouraging verse. That's one of my favorites. Uh, There's something in us, guys, that always wants to go our own way, that always wants to serve ourselves. And to serve our, our, little, our little gods, lowercase gods in our life. Uh, but Joshua predetermined that he was going to serve the Lord. He made a decision ahead of time. He, he knew which way he was going to go. So let's follow suit. Let's choose, let's choose this day whom we are going to serve. And, in closing, I wanted to share a passage that came to mind when I was considering what it means to be obedient to an authority. And when Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he urged him to be a good soldier of Christ. It says here, three to uh, chapter two, verses three to four. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of his life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So a good soldier, it does, he doesn't get caught up in, him, in himself and go in a way that seems right in his own eyes, right? Imagine that if if every soldier in a battalion functioned this way. Uh, it would be the least effective military group of all time, right? Everybody just, like, this dude doing push-ups, this guy doing pull-ups all the while, they're, they're, like, supposed to be deploying, like, right now. (laughs) Uh, No, like, an effective battalion is unified under its commander and obedient to his commands, even when it's hard. That's why it says, endure hardness. That's why Paul said that to Timothy. And in a very similar way, Kaya, we need to be unified in God and obedient to his word, that's what's going to make us an effective ministry. Not because we're great, but because God's great. Okay, and actual closing right now. It all comes down to choosing who we're going to serve. Right? We've heard the words. We believe in God's word. We have a choice to make. Whether we're going to follow ourselves or follow the Lord. And there's nothing more, brothers and sisters in Kai, than I that I want more than for us to grow in faith and to collectively choose to pursue the things of God and not the things of this world. God's given us his word, both in the physical manifestation of his son, Jesus Christ, and also in the written form, our Bible, that we have here today. And what an incredible gift it is for God to give us his physical son, Jesus, but he's also the living word. And what an incredible gift it is to have God's written word today. So just like we wouldn't squander the physical Jesus, let's not squander the gift of the written word, too. Let's have faith in God's word and be doers of it. I love you guys.
1: Thank you. Okay, so thank you, Jake. Yeah. Um, so as we've learned, right, we're always making disciples, and we have a final authority, but what good is an authority if you don't submit to it, right? There was this guy in the 1800s uh, in California who, who claimed to be emperor of the United States, This is a a real historical figure. He was not, in fact, the emperor of the United States. You can Google this. He's a really interesting guy. Um, But, right, like, if you don't submit to it, it's not an authority. And so uh, we're going to be covering this next principle. This is four? Yeah. Um, Our members are accountable to the word. Right? We have to submit to the authority. And to address... Why? I want to I zoom out pretty far, and so we're going to start actually with Revelation 4:11 should be on the screen. It says, "Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created." And so all of creation exists to worship God, to give glory back to our Creator. And uh, and in the biblical accounts of, you know, before creation as we know it, this was actually taking place. In Job 38, we see that uh, that at the beginning, all the sons of God shouted for joy. All of creation was singing in unison to their Creator. But if, if you've been with us in... In our Genesis series and main service, you know that, that something happens between Genesis 1 1 and 1 2, and it's the fall of Lucifer, right? Who we know today as Satan. But at that time, he was um, one of God's most magnificent creations, the worship leader of heaven. And he got lifted up with pride and decided to worship himself rather than God. And you can read about this in Isaiah 14. But for the first time, there is division in God's creation. And when it's all said and done, that dividing line is on worship. Those who choose to worship God and those who choose to follow Satan and worship themselves. There's a Warren Wiersbe quote I read this morning. It says, In this universe there is God... And there are people and things. We should worship God, love people, and use things. But if we start worshiping ourselves, we will ignore God and start loving things and using people. And so we see that dividing line of worship, right? It found its way to humanity in the Garden of Eden, and it continues to this day. And we talk about it in our discipleship lessons, right? Um... There are two spiritual families, and you can find this in John eight forty four, 44, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, year of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so in this verse we see God describe not only Satan but Satan's family. They abide not in truth and there is no truth in them. This is the worship that God is very much against. And so despite that when God looks at this planet according to John 4:23 through 24 God looks at this earth and he's looking for one thing true worship. And Jesus says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if the Father is looking for true worship, he, he describes what that is it's in spirit and in truth. So this is worship, right, ascribing worth to something from somebody who has the Holy Spirit, right, who is saved and lives according to his truth. And that's the Bible. This is the exact opposite of Satan's family, where they do not abide in truth because we have believed on the gospel. We are hidden in Christ who is truth, While there is no truth in them, right, the people who are in Satan's family, Christ indwells our hearts by faith. And so by definition, a Christian is someone who has chosen to worship God in spirit and in truth, to allow God's spirit to empower them to follow Christ according to his words. They're someone who has accepted the truth of God's word and submitted themselves to it by believing on the gospel. This is what a Christian is, right? If at least one point in their life, they saw God's word, it said, all, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet Jesus Christ died and made a way, I'm going to hold myself accountable to that. And they, right, we, when we called on the name of the Lord, that's what we did. We held ourselves accountable to the word of God for the first time in our lives, And so key point one, we are accountable to the word because of our spiritual DNA. And I'm not talking about necessarily our our spiritual DNA as, as Midtown Baptist Temple. I know that's kind of what we're doing in our series. But the part of your spiritual DNA that makes you a Christian is at one point in your life, you held yourself accountable to the word of God. So we are accountable to the word because of our spiritual DNA. And when we accepted Christ, we entered into God's family. We received that spiritual DNA. We chose truth. But now the question on the floor becomes, will we choose to behave as God's children? Will we continue to choose truth and walk in obedience to our Father? See, positionally, we are in truth, and truth is in us, but the whole point of the Christian walk is to trust God for what is true of us, positionally, to be true of us practically. And so uh, that's why Jesus says in John 8:31, "If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free." Right? And then regarding truth being in us, Paul writes in Colossians 3:16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Right? What's true of us positionally, we're to trust God to make it true of us practically. But ultimately, we don't obey God's word because God is a cruel taskmaster that will punish us if we don't. Right? Uh, he's not gonna strike us down with lightning. But rather, our heart's desire ought to be to love him and therefore obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So then, just because we have our dad's DNA doesn't mean we're pre-programmed to do everything our dad expects us against our will, right? Like a good father, God holds us accountable as his children. We don't get to behave any way we want, To ensure that his children wear his name well, he has told us that we will one day give an account of our lives. Not as sinners, but as sons. Uh, Did we complete our chores, so to speak, right? And this is called the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, It's it's talked about in multiple places in scripture. But in Romans 14, uh, it says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And because God is such a gracious Father, in light of this coming judgment, God encourages us first to judge ourselves. Right? So ultimately, he won't have to. Right? If if dad's coming home and he gave us a list of chores to do, uh, I don't actually have to worry about being spanked if I just do my chores. Right? Like... That's pretty straightforward. And so I, I want you guys to get this down. Key point two, we hold ourselves accountable to the Word because we love God. Right? Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commandments. We hold ourselves ac- ourselves accountable to the Word because we love God. And while we ought to hold ourselves accountable... God is so gracious in that he knew that even though he gave us his his Holy Spirit, right, God himself indwelling us by faith, and he gave us his perfect inspired word like Jake just told us about, he knew we would still mess it up. And so he put us in a family full of loving brothers and sisters who would lovingly redirect us toward obedience. And so we see this concept very clearly explained to us by Jesus Christ in the Great Commission, right? Nick talked about this. But notice that that Jesus told his disciples not to just teach whatsoever Jesus had commanded them, but he, he said, I want you to teach them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you, right? That's different. I want you to teach people how to obey what I've commanded you. And this is accountability, Right? Paul lets us know in multiple places that the church should live this out. Um, it, it shows up whenever he uses the word admonish. All right? The word admonish means uh, to put in mind, to caution or reprove gently, to warn. And to go back to Colossians 3.16, we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so in this one verse, we see admonition, right? accountability to the word of God, tied directly to both our worship and our fellowship. Paul says it again uh, in Romans 15, 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Right, It's that word of God in you, that being filled with all knowledge, that allows us to hold one another accountable to the word. So we're given clear instruction from both Jesus and Paul on not only how to admonish one another, how to hold each other accountable to the word, but also how to deal with someone that refuses to accept uh, that biblical admonition, right? Just loving admonition from their brothers and sisters to walk in light of God's word. So this is what is commonly referred to as church discipline. And so Jesus gives clear instruction on it in in Matthew 18. And Paul uh, Paul talks about it in at least three places. In Titus 3.10, he says, a man that is an heretic... Right, Somebody who's, uh, who has some pet doctrine that they're being divisive about. After the first and second admonition, reject. 1 Corinthians 5.11 says, But now I have written unto you uh, not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat Second Thessalonians 3.14, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And I love this verse. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so key point three, we hold each other accountable to the word because we love each other. I, we all need to be reminded to love God and to obey Him. We all have moments or seasons in our life where we're, sh- we're wrestling with being obedient to God. And God placed us in a family for that very reason. And, uh, and that family for me is Midtown Baptist Temple. Um, you know, I, uh, when I was a kid, I, I had to have been like nine or something like that. You guys know those, like, dumb little toilet talk nursery rhymes that you say as kids, like, beans, beans, the more you eat? Like, those, you know what I'm talking about? So I remember being, like, hanging out with a friend. Um, I think we were uh, swimming at the lake, and um, our, all of our parents were, like, in the boat, and I, I shared one of those with, the other, with my other friends. And I, my mom heard me say it. And I, like, I saw her look at me. And just in the look, I knew that she was saying, that is not how a Harper behaves. And, uh, and you know what? At that point in time, I did not cease to be my parents' child. Right? Just because I had not acted like someone in my family ought to act the way I was raised, they didn't disown me. Right? I, simply, I had a conversation with my mom on the ride home. She said, that's, we don't talk like that. Right? And that's what the family of God is for. Right? When we start misbehaving, when we are disobedient to our father, we've got family members who are like, hey, we, we don't act like that. Right, you don't get to call yourself a Christian and act like that. And if you're going to continue to act like that, you you can't hang out here, right? Um, and that's in love, guys. We we ought to bear our Father's name well. And so I want to throw these three passages up to just to close. Ultimately, First John four nineteen says that we love Him, we love God. Because he first loved us. And I love this next verse. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. We ought to hold ourselves and each other accountable to God's word because he's worth it. And, uh, and, man, I love Galatians 6, 15 and 16. Uh, because, guys, I, I know we just talked about accountability to the word, which is, it, it seems kind of funny, because the whole point of doing this, like, series on biblical principles is that the Christian walk isn't about rules. You know, it's about principles. But I love the way Galatians 6 uh, states this. Right? Ultimately the Christian walk, there's one rule. It's you have been set free by Jesus Christ from sin, from the law, from death. We're new creatures. We're children of God. We ought to act like it. That's the one rule, right? Um, We ought to love God in return. And so uh, you can kind of see that all three of these our, we're all kind of preaching different nuances of the same message. And, uh, and that's because we are a family, right? And we have determined we're going to obey our Father. And if, if you do not have a church home, all of these messages are for you, right? If you're here today and you don't have accountability to the Word of God in some form, that's what we're, that's what we're here for right? You are, let's, let's be real about it, if you're not accountable to the Word of God, you're not acting like God's child. And so we want to invite you to be a part of our church family here at 40th and Walnut. And, uh, and so as the, as the praise band makes their way up, we're just going to close. But, but guys, there's a lot on the floor here, right? So first and foremost, you know, we love him because he first loved us. And if you don't know the love of Jesus Christ, if you've never submitted yourself to the gospel and held yourself accountable to the word of God, the fact that you are indeed a sinner and there is a righteous judgment for all of eternity that you wholeheartedly deserve, that I deserve, but that Jesus Christ loved us so much he was willing to give his life so we didn't have to take that, he took it upon our, on himself, right? Like, man, God is so loving, and we, we want you to accept that love, right? And so we're going to have counselors up here willing and ready to meet with you and to, to show you how to accept the free gift of salvation, how to enter into God's family. Um, but, but, guys, there's more on the floor here, right? We're, we're always making disciples, and if you, maybe you are in God's family, but you've never been formally discipled, right? shown how to follow Jesus Christ, how to hold yourself accountable to God's word, right? the fact that we have a final authority. We want to talk to you. And guys, maybe, maybe you are a disciple. Maybe you have a final authority. You're submitted to it. But it's not in love. Guys, Paul says that if there's, if there's not charity, if there's not love, it's worthless, and so, man, I want to submit all these things to you. Uh, we want to help you work through those things. Um, but, yeah, we're going to close in, in worship to our Father. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times, and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.